0: Welcome back one more time to the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. My name is Dustin.
1: And I'm Lakeisha.
0: And here we are recording in the heart of Portland, Oregon, from our couch, from our lovely home, with the world's neediest 145-pound dog, (laughs) who, who had decided that this was a good time for her to get all riled up. So if you hear stuff in the background, it might be that. But... Uh, this podcast is, as you may have guessed from the title, all about, uh, beer and movies. And if you listened last week, we mentioned we might go see a movie in the theater, The Mountain Between Us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, sorry to disappoint you if you're hoping for that one, but I felt kind of, to me, like this was more of a, you know, stay in weekend. And so we did. Yes. And we went with a, every, a favorite of everybody's, I think.
1: Yes. The Princess Bride, a staple for all movie watchers everywhere.
0: Also, it's 30th anniversary, right? Anniversary year for The Princess Bride. Yes. And before we get into all of that, though, I did want to ask you a question. Do you know anybody that dislikes this movie?
1: Um, no.
0: Me either. I was thinking about this uh, after we watched it yesterday. I know people who have not seen it.
1: Me too, which I think is weird.
0: To a degree, but I can't think of anybody who has seen it and been like, oh, I've seen that. It sucks. I mean, I can think of people who dislike Star Wars. I mean, the original Star movies, you know, which seems weird to me, but I know people who have said it. I can't think of anybody I've ever met who has seen The Princess Bride and disliked it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. I can't think of anybody either, but that doesn't actually mean that they've that I don't know anybody who doesn't like it. It just means it's never come up in conversation. conversation.
2: Okay. Anyway,
0: well, before we get into the details of the movie, we each have a couple of beers here to try. Yes, we do. And have you tried? You haven't. Have you tried yours yet?
1: I did. I did oh, taste
0: okay. Because you were saying you were going to hold off until we hit the record button. So I was. I it was going to be know. exciting. Yes. No, is it? I don't remember. Is it as always? Is it your turn?
1: Um, I'm not sure, but I'll go first anyway.
0: Okay, so we're going to just talk of really briefly about the beers we've decided to go with as we talk about the Princess Bride this week, and what do you got for me?
1: This is uh, from Dogfish Head Brewing out of Delaware. Um, it, it, the brewery is in Milton, Delaware, but the first uh, when they first opened their brewery and restaurant, it was in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware um, by Stan and Mariah Calagione. And, um, it's a really interesting story. They opened in 1995. They wanted a place where they could drink beer, have food, listen to music. So they opened that place. Um, and they were brewing all of their own beer, um, during, in that one little restaurant. And so they would brew 12 gallon, um, batches of beer three times a day, five days oh, a week wow. <laughs> to try and uh, sustain their brewery. Uh, but that was uh, 1995. They consider their um, beers to be off-centered ales for off-centered people. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have a point of pride about being um, innovative and changing the, up their the type of beers that they have. Um, so they have everything from, they don't just necessarily have an IPA. Their staples are a 120-minute IPA. I am familiar. A 60-minute IPA. Mm-hmm. A 90-minute IPA. And then they have a series of alternative takes. They have beer for breakfast out. Um, beer to drink music to. They've got a bunch of really cool beers. Um, I am drinking the Flesh and Blood IPA.
0: This surprised me when I saw it. But you, yeah, you got this. Why? Because of what's in it.
1: That is true. But I decided, I had decided today, I was going to get a beer that was going to be completely different. And then we were just going to see if I liked it or not. We're just going to be surprised, see what happened. Um, So, you know, I still went with an IPA, Uh, but that, which was not the original intent, but then I saw it and it made me laugh because it's October, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so flesh and blood IPA think of it very halloweeny feel um but this is made with um orange peel lemon flesh and blood orange juice so it's a very very interesting tasting ipa um it only has 40 ibus which is pretty or 45 ibus which is Pretty low IBU count for me. I like a nice happy, happy IPA. So that
0: seems like a low low IB, low IBU count for it an IPA in general. Right. Or maybe that's just what we're used to in working.
1: So, um, yeah, and I'm also I did go outside of my comfort zone. I'm drinking an East Coast IPA. You are. <laughs>
0: but do you like it?
1: Yeah. Um yes. <laughs> it's not bad. Okay. I feel like this is well, they definitely. They all can't be winners, I guess. A summer beer like this is the type of beer that would be really good on a hot summer day.
2: Yeah.
1: Not in a mildly warm October afternoon evening. Um, so it's okay. I'm not sure. Maybe I just need the right circumstances to be drinking it. Uh, but what I love is this website. When you go to the Dogfish. Uh-huh. website they actually have they do each beer has like little short videos where they talk to you about the beer that they this that particular beer then they have a little the best way to enjoy it so this beer is best enjoyed in an IPA glass it it's best paired it's cheese pairing is with aged cheddar okay and it's best food pairing is with jerk chicken ceviche pineapple upside down cake so, okay. perhaps I just didn't have the right meal with it today, Yeah, we I didn't guess. have any of those things. Yeah. So, and then it gives you the experience of the color, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel. That's a thing
0: okay. on their website. Yeah. Mouthfeel. Mouth. Feel. mouth.
1: <laughs> sounds a little dirty, but okay. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's it it's interesting. Let's see how I feel by the end of the podcast. Okay. I'm. Not, it, it's not something where I'm like, no, I can't drink it, but I'm also not loving it.
0: Well, you were threatening that depending on how it went, we might be pushing pause and you might be reloading. And you're not doing that. So that's something, right?
1: That is something. Thanks for giving away my thing.
0: I thought it was adorable and funny.
1: (laughs) Anyway, what are you drinking?
0: I am back in the pumpkin patch this week. It's October. I decided I want to go with another pumpkin beer. Are
1: you going to go with a pumpkin beer every... Week
0: this month, uh, we'll see. It's a possibility. I'm thinking. I already have one that I might do next week. Thinking about it. Um, but anyway, I'm revisiting a brewery that I've, I've talked about before, Rogue Ales, uh, one of the great stalwarts of yes. the Oregon craft brewing scene. Been around a long time. Uh, previous podcast, I talked about them and how they got started for quite a bit. This is their Pumpkin Patch Ale. One of the cool things about Rogue is that they have uh, their own farms, and they tend to make their stuff that they grow on their own farms, and they really make a point of it on the bottle of this, Uh, that this Rogue was reading straight from the bottle. This Rogue was brewed using ingredients grown on Rogue farms in Oregon. From ground to grass, we're proud to say it's a true taste of Rogue. I think it's supposed to be territory, but I think it might have actually misprinted it. Or, <laughs> or this is a word I just am unfamiliar with. Um, it says, also says, created with pumpkins grown at Rogue Farms in Independence, Oregon. Fresh pumpkins are picked, loaded onto a truck, and driven immediately 77 miles to our brewer brewery in Newport, Oregon, where we've been.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Quickly roasted and pitched into the brew kettle. Then it lists all the different other hops and stuff that are used to make it. And I don't know, it's just neat that they make stuff this way. Uh, the bottle is got this great pumpkin orange color.
1: Bright, 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 orange.
0: And as far as the beer itself, it is I would say a milder version of what I had last week. What we I call the dessert beer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This isn't quite as desserty, but I still like it. I think okay. this is officially my second favorite pumpkin beer. Okay. No, and not in this dessert beer, but definitely goes well after dinner, which we just did have. Yes,
2: that so is
0: true. Yeah, there's some spice to it. Naturally, you would think, you know, with a, a pumpkin, a pumpkin beer, some spice and nutmeg, a little bit. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, not something I would like have a lot of on hand, but one every once in a while, uh, you know, after dinner when you're chilling, I think it works well.
1: All right. Excellent. So
0: anyway, yeah.
1: All right, now to the movie, *The Indeed. Princess Bride*.
0: Indeed. And so, spoiler for spoiler warning for a thirty-year-old movie, we don't care about your spoiler worries. Yeah, um, we're just
1: going to talk about the movie.
0: Yeah, we each pick the three of our what we feel are the coolest or most our favorite parts of a movie and share them. We haven't shared them with each other beforehand, and we'll talk about anything and everything as we see fit. So, if you haven't seen *The Princess Bride*, I, I couldn't say what's wrong with you, but you're forewarned.
1: Yes. Just keep listening. We'll tell you all the reasons why you should go see it.
0: And there are many. Yes. Okay. Well, you're going first this week.
1: Um, wow. This is really, really hard.
0: It was hard for me, too.
1: Because there's so many things about this movie that I love. So many things. The Princess
0: Bride. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it's one of the best.
0: It is we, as we we watched this just last night, and we essentially spent the entire quoting the entire movie to each other as I
1: it know. as it played. It was great. Yeah. I think that's all. That's that is one of the great things about this movie is that it's very quotable. Oh man, there's so many lines where you want to say it. Um, those lines and other people are going to instantly recognize that that's from The Princess Bride, and you're going to crack up laughing. Um, but it's great. Uh, So, I have to say, I really like the interplay between the grandson and the grandfather. Okay. I just think that they were really funny, and, I mean, honestly, like, it made me laugh in a way that I really haven't um, laughed about it before. Like, it was a new viewing, almost. I think I've always loved, um, you know, the, you know, pouty... Fred Savage is the mm-hmm. grandson who's just like, oh, grandpa's gonna come pinch my cheeks. And then he does. You know, it's great. Um, and just how Peter Falk is uh, like indulgent of his grandson and then there's points in times where he's like, yes, yes, you're very smart. Now shut up. You know, so he can mm-hmm. keep reading. Um, but it's a really good setup. Um, you know, they, they just do a really good job and you know, starts out with you know, Fred Savage's character being just so like, Ugh, I'll try not to fall asleep.
2: Uh-huh. You know,
1: the quintessential. I'd rather watch video, get play video games than listen to a book. And then by the end, he's just totally right. captivated and wants his grandpa to come read it again the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's great. It's a lot of fun, and there, the pauses in the movie as they flip flip back, so you just remember like, oh, this is a book.
2: Right, this is, right.
1: And then, um, and then as they talk over different parts of the movie where they're like, oh, wait, this is where this is going to happen. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty funny.
0: The, the, uh, his aversion to the kissing parts. Yes. Grandpa. Is this a kiss? Is this a kissing book?
1: Yeah.
0: That's interesting because I, because, you know, the Princess Bride is a book and the thing with the, uh, the grandson and grandfather, I believe is just an invention for the film.
1: No, it's in the book. Is it in
0: the book too? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, what do I know? Apparently
1: nothing. (laughs) I read the book.
0: Uh, I did not. I have not read the book. I just know the movie like backwards and forwards.
1: Yes. The book is upstairs in our little library.
0: Okay.
1: In case you wanted to read it. It's a good read.
0: That's what I understand. All right. Anything else on grandpa and grandson, Peter Falk and Fred Savage?
1: No, that's about it.
0: Yeah. Other than uh, the baseball video game he's playing. I'm pretty sure I had that too as a kid.
1: Uh, Of course
0: My, uh, first thing I'm going to talk about is the battle of wits between the dread pirate Wesley (laughs) and (laughs) Vizzini.
1: Oh, it's so good.
0: And of the, of the three things, those are kind of like three tasks. Mm -hmm. I always feel like that section of the movie where he's got to fight Inigo, the sword fight, and then he's got to fight Andre the Giant, beat him with his strength.
2: Right. The
0: battle of wits with Vizzini, uh... Has become one over the years one one of my favorite things, and especially now, as recently, I've been listening to the audio book uh, called "As You Wish." Uh, Carrie Elway's wrote a book about the kind of you know the making of the Princess Bride, right? And I've been listening to it. I'm not done with it yet, but when he talks about this scene, and specifically as he talks about Wallace Shawn, the actor who plays Vincent, incredibly fascinating guy. I no idea how what. Uh, I mean, he's the guy's a playwright.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but of course, if you see his face, you recognize him from other films as well.
1: He was the voice of the dinosaur in the Toy Story series.
0: Yeah. And um, he I mean, went to Harvard, Oxford, taught in India on a Fulbright. He just His life is fascinating. And then you get to this movie. And as you listen to the book, the audiobook I'm listening to, you find out that uh, he had heard, whether it was true or not, that they wanted to get Danny DeVito for this role, couldn't get it, and that maybe there was a second actor they wanted to get too that they couldn't get, and then it felt then they came to him, so he was like third choice in his mind, and he spent the entire movie just incredibly insecure, thinking that it was only a matter of time before they fired him because he wasn't going to be as good as Danny DeVito. Yeah, and he spent like all this time filming, thinking about how. Much funnier, how better the scenes would be if there were Danny DeVito were here instead of him. Aww. I'm just like, yeah, you just feel so bad for this guy. And the, the parts of that in the audiobook are his, well, the Sean speaking. It's not like a voice actor, it's clearly him. Right. So it's really interesting. And so hearing all that has made this scene all the more interesting to me now because he is just so over the top arrogant
1: i know
2: i
0: know that is so good that in the real life he was so insecure and just assumed that he was a matter of time before he got fired but yet he was able to play this just over the top arrogant i am the smartest man in the world character and it just and uh, you know playing against carrie always is just being super cool
2: right
0: you know in the entire time it's just it's just so funny and this how he gets like, so the, you know, he, he poisons the wine with the iocane cane powder, right? right? So the, the game begins and it ends when you choose, we drink and one of us dies, right? Yes. and Yeah. He just goes rolling on how he's, his, his thinking of how, how he's going to go about choosing what wine has to take. It just, it's just so manic
2: uh-huh.
0: that Oh, what's that? He makes him turn his head, and he does a <laughs> quick little switcheroo. It
2: <laughs>
0: no, no, makes no sense.
1: I know. And all I'm going to drink It's all good. <laughs> and, then,
0: and then when they drink, and he just starts laughing, and he just sells out so hard on the laughter. You know, you never go in with a, against a Sicilian when death, death is, is on the line. And ha, 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 He's just laughing so hard. It almost makes you think that maybe he, the laugh killed him. You know, he just laughed so hard, something ruptured. Yeah. <laughs> but, Anyway, that's what I'm going to say is my uh, one of my three favorite things about the movies. That scene, the Battle of wits, because it
1: kills me every time. One of my favorite things, but I guess I will not go with that now. Now I have to pick another one.
2: Mm. So.
1: Um, I so again, I would say, let's see. One of my other favorite scenes are the interplay between Prince Humperdinck and Count
0: uh, oh, Ro- oh Roger R- Rugen.
1: Rugen, yes, Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. They're just such like casual villains all the time, you know. And Count Rugen is always just like, of course, sire. He's so like gentle and mild. They manner. are. They're very. About everything that he says as he's casually talking about torturing and killing, you know, Wesley or... There's
0: almost a very loving tone between them, I I would say. I know.
1: It's so funny. And just how, you know, probably one of my favorite um, scenes is where they're looking for the secret entrance to their torture chamber. (laughs) And, you know, he's like, are you coming? And he's like, I have a wedding to plan, a country to rule. My wife to kill and build a frame for it. I'm swamped. you know.
0: And, and just... that line is funny enough on its own, but then
1: then he goes, "Oh, yes. well, I don't even know what he says." He says something like, "You know, if you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything." Yes, as he exactly. walks down to like <laughs> torture <laughs> go torture somebody. somebody. It's just so good and so <laughs> funny the whole time, mm-hmm. you know. And at first, I remember watching this as. I not probably not my first time but the first time I watched it as an adult and I just remember thinking like is is Chris Sarandon overacting? like what are they doing? I didn't get it you know when, they, when they're riding their horses and they're trying to find
0: right, they're tracking. Buttercup yeah. and
1: he's just and every cutaway is him being there will be great suffering if she dies or I will be very put out you know like it's just hilarious watching those two and the counts just this perfect you know backup where he's like what do you see sire as he's like feeding him these moments to be like i'm an amazing tracker i'm amazing i'm Mm. amazing they're just it's so funny i love it
0: one of my favorite lines now from that whole when they're tracking them when they catch up to where the battle of wits has been and he sniffs the vial or whatever he goes iocane powder I bet my life on it.
2: Yeah,
0: i i don't know how many times I heard that line and didn't get that that itself is a joke. And now, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, one time, you know, viewing number two hundred and fifty, it finally is like, oh my god,
1: that's so—that's exactly what
0: happened. I, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that those two are great. Uh, and in the book, uh, Carrie Elwes's book, Chris Sarandon also. They use, he's essentially, you know, he tells stories in his own voice. No one's right. like impersonating him. And they're all very good. Okay. Your number two. My number two is going to be uh, Miracle Max. <laughs> Miracle Max, uh, learned a lo- I learned a lot about this scene as well in the audiobook I'm listening to. Uh, what I've never really appreciated, I think, until I watched it last night is. Uh, the makeup, Miracle Max yeah. and his wife Valerie, with, played by Carol Kane, their makeup is really. I, I think i had forgotten how, in how much there was.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I just, I think in my memory, my mind, I just thought, oh, it's just Billy Crystal and a funny nose, and it's not. It's like full, you know, over the. They cover everything. It's full on special effects makeup, which apparently Billy Crystal had a lot of input in. He worked with a makeup guy to develop what it looked like. And Billy was only there for three days filming. Oh, all that's he funny. was there for the, the scene. Apparently, I mean, as you when you watch it, you can tell that it's got to be pretty much all ad lib They right. just let him go crazy. Uh, it got to the point where director Rob Reiner couldn't be on the set because he would laugh and ruin takes all the time. He had <laughs> he'd, like he'd say action, he'd walk away, and then come back and see what they did because he couldn't. He just couldn't, couldn't control himself. And Carrie had playing dead on the slab. had problems, you know, trying to keep a straight face. Right. He said that there are so many R rated takes that Billy, they did because Billy said something that there's no way we can use in a movie. That's supposed to be PG. Oh,
2: that's
1: so that funny. would just,
0: I would give anything to see the that, outtakes. That,
1: yes. Of, They've got to be somewhere. Got
0: to be somewhere. I would be, But, yeah, that's just so manic and funny, and all the lines work. When Carol Kane runs out screaming at him that he's a liar, she's so great. My favorite, favorite part of this scene, though, is when they're trying to convince him to take the job to try to bring Wesley back from the dead, or see if he can. He's like, uh, something about um, it needs to be a noble cause, I forget what the exact exchange is, and... Inigo Matoya, Mandy Patinkin, just his face just gets dead serious. With, Sir, this is no. His wife, crippled. <laughs> Children the brink of starvation. And Billy was like, boy, are you a horrible liar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <it's... laughs> and allegedly, the one injury Mandy Patinkin suffered on this film was in this scene. He's like strained a rib, trying to to hold in the laughter so that he wouldn't break character. That's great. Allegedly. That's what he says. But anyway, the Miracle Max scene, it's cracks me up every time, especially now that I know that it was just a thousand percent ad lib.
1: ad lib by yeah. them. Well, I mean, they're both were, are, I guess, such comedy legends yeah. that it does make sense that they would just let him go and be like, mm-hmm. okay, here's the scene. Right. Here's roughly what needs to happen. Right. Go. Yeah. I mean, th- that's what you can do when you have those, like, master comedians.
0: Yeah, you you, got, you trust Billy Crystal to, yeah, to do what he can do, and it'll right. all be, we'll figure it out.
1: So, I read that um, he, the makeup artist who did his makeup and Carol Kane's, were, um, was actually the makeup artist he used for Saturday Night Live, so, like, they knew each other really well. Okay. So, he brought him over for that and, like, brought in a picture of his grandmother, <laughs> I'm just like let's start here. Okay. <laughs> so that was great. Um, All right. So I had for my third one. I uh-huh. just went again. It was really
2: hard to come down to just three.
1: Um, were really just was Inigo Montoya. He he and was
0: yeah he's great.
1: His scenes with Fezzik, <laughs> and his scenes with Bassini, like that boat scene.
0: Oh, the three of them, when yeah. When they're
1: on the boat, like, just crack me up. You know, just they're sitting there and, you know, um, Inigo Montoya is, like, coming up with rhymes and he and Fezek are rhyming as they're, like, setting sail. And the scene is like, no more rhymes now, I mean it. And you hear, anybody want a peanut? Like, it's just <sighs> so funny. And then, you know, as they're going through... Um, and he keeps looking at Inigo Montoya, keeps looking at the back. He's like, nobody knows. What are you talking about? Nobody. You're right. It's inconceivable. Out of curiosity, why do you ask? And he's like, no, oh, there's a boat back there. You know, uh-huh. just casually. I look behind us and there's something there. Um, just so good. And just every time Vecini goes, inconceivable. And finally, Inigo Montoya looks at him and goes, I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs>
0: So quick, quick story. Uh, Yesterday, after we watched the movie, a friend of mine, Brian, texted me something, something about a football game that was on. It doesn't matter what it was. And I texted him back simply the word inconceivable. And he wrote back, I don't think you know what that word means. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lends
0: itself to the power of, you know, everybody's seen this movie and everybody loves it.
1: Everybody knows knows that line. Um, but yeah, so I just, I love those scenes. I love that he's like, you know, his response is to go back to the beginning and going back to the beginning is to get like completely hammered Mm -hmm. and hang out in the thieves forest to wait for Vassini to to come come. back and get him. You know, so it's just kind of how literal his brain is. We're going to go back to the beginning. Well, this is where we got the job and I was drunk. So clearly I need to be drunk again. Uh,
0: The thing on the boat. What I, I think about now, anytime I watch it, you have you know Andre the Giant, right, right, and then you also have Inigo Montoya, this master swordsman. Why in God's name are either of these guys listening to Vincenio and doing what this little, tiny man, arrogant, you know, who, you know, you know,
1: he's smart.
0: I guess he's I don't know. The brains of the operation.
1: It's great. I love it. They're really- like his his quest. The six-fingered man mm-hmm. and then how just polite he is during the battle like before the sword fight like right. you know he's like oh come on up like I like you should get up here I'm trying to kill you and you know Carrie always is down there going this isn't really as is easy as it looks so could you just wait you know he's like oh I hate waiting you know mm-hmm. it's so good and then uh, and then of course the final scene where you know, been, he's holding in his wound, and he's like, hello. My name is Inigo. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he just says that over and over again. Oh, it's great.
0: It is great. He is, uh, it always used to be that he was my favorite. Inigo was my favorite character in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When I, especially when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Loved him.
1: That movie introduced me to Mandy Patinkin, mm-hmm. and then when I discovered that he was uh, like a musical theater actor. That's what really opened me up to like more and different musical theater numbers and mm-hmm. uh, musicals. Cause I was like, oh, I want to see more of him. And did you? Oh, well never live, but well, yeah. yes, <laughs> but then he did actually, I mean just maybe 10, 12 years ago he did, um, he was in the musicals uh, Version of a Secret Garden,
0: so good. Okay. Cool. Okay. Well, you just kind of touched on, hi dog, the uh, my third, my uh, what I'm going to say is my favorite part of the movie, and that is the greatest sword fight ever committed to film. Yes. Uh, that when, was really good. Yes. As Wesley is. The Dread pirate, pirate Roberts is scaling the cliffs of insanity, mm-hmm. trying to chase down these three guys who have stole, kidnapped Buttercup, Princess Buttercup. And then he goes waiting for him at the top, you know, and he has a little exchange with Fasini. He's like, ah, i must lose my left hand. Use my right hand. Too quick. I'm not be satisfied. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and like they like said, like, they're just so overly polite to each other. You know, uh-huh. it's like, oh. And uh, you know he finally gets him up to the top, and he's like, "Oh no, take a minute, take you know, wait, not until you're ready." You know, right. I don't
1: want to, I don't want to kill you before you're ready right. to be killed, nice and relaxed.
0: And then they, he, that's where you first hear the story of the Six Fingered Man. Little mm-hmm. exposition, and that's a great story. And then uh, you know they get up to fight, and he goes, "Are you?" It's like, "Oh, you've been more than. Are you sure you're ready?" Well, even if I'm not, you've been more than fit. You know, you seem a good man. I hate to kill you. You seem a good man. I hate, I hate, to, hate to die." Them and then and then I, again I'm gonna reference uh, the, the audiobook uh, as you wish because these guys worked so hard for this scene it is it is incredible uh, so they get to, before they actually start filming they all get to England uh, Carrie hasn't fenced once in his life like Mandy had maybe done a little bit of it on stage somewhere. Mm -hmm. but Mandy had also uh, started training a little bit in America before he came over and they meet with their two sword masters and it is just boot camp Mm -hmm. sword fight boot camp uh, every day you know they um, because they said they they wanted the goal to literally be this is going to be the best sword fight committed to film that's what we want Uh, we're going to teach you in addition to learning the moves that your character is supposed to know, you're also going to learn the moves your opponent has to know. We want you to know everything forwards and backwards. And so they do that. I forget for how long. And then before they start filming, then filming starts. And in between any break that they had in between scenes, you know, Carrie said, I'd go over just to like have a sit, you know, in between while they're resetting to shoot to take, do another take. And then one of the guys, with the sword masters be right there with the sword oh here we go yeah. and they'd end it was just relentless how much they trained those guys for that fight and it's so much fun i mean they they play everything straight but it's still obviously you're not supposed to take it too seriously you know right. the, the left-handed versus right-handed thing and they uh, it's just it's just so much fun and um Uh, We even when I was at high school, we did a some project we had for an English class. We filmed the sword fight where we had our two sword fighters do that. You know, I'm not left-handed either, and uh, it's just so it's it's I think it's the highlight of the movie for a lot of people. Certainly for me, every time it comes up. Yeah, and uh, the uh, the part where uh, Wesley. Like uh, Inigo jumps down from a thing, but then Wesley has to jump up and grab this pole, and like right. a gymnast, swing around a couple of times, and then he lands, and then he like he pulls a sword up out slowly up out of the ground. <laughs> it's just so...
1: And Inigo Montoya goes,
0: "Who are you? I must know." It's Get cute. used to this one.
1: I know. I love it. It's so good. It, it is really.
0: Funny. And then, and just ultimately, the respect they end up having for each other because mm-hmm. Wesley wins. And he go, goes to his knee and just, you know, kill me quickly. I just assume, like, what he's, what's he say? I Destroy just play a, a, a work thing. of art or yeah. something like that. Anyway, so that's what I'm going to say is my favorite parts. Although, if you were to ask me in a couple of days, what are your favorite parts of The Princess Bride? This list could change.
1: Oh, it absolutely does. It changes every time for me.
0: So, so I mean, we barely even talked about Andre the Giant. I know. The best.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah. or even Robin Wright Barely, you know.
1: I uh, know yeah well that's because everything in this movie is really well almost everything in this movie is great and mm-hmm. so you have to pick and choose So, I mean, but yeah I, I think I would agree with all of your three things um, mm-hmm. and I would also agree that tomorrow you ask me what my three favorite things are and I'm going to come up with three different ones um, so I loved it oh, yeah. love great it every movie. time great movie. Oh, I was going to say, do you know how long that sword fight was?
0: Oh, I mean, running time on film? Oh, it man. was
1: three minutes and ten seconds. Oh, man. And um, prior to that, the longest sword fight duel that had been filmed was only a minute. Jeez. <laughs> so. Serious sword fight. Yeah. Alright, well, this is the part where we go through and we say, mm-hmm. is there anything that you didn't like so much? <sighs>
0: I didn't even write anything down in my notes that there that, that there is, other than um, I mean, I guess you know Buttercup just kind of being the
1: damsel in, in distress. distress, and that's it. Yeah,
0: you know, is really is that is that how it is in the book?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it is the it, it's it reminds me of you know the sexy lamp. Theory can oh. replace the character with a sexy lamp.
0: And you don't really have to change much about the plot. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that was disappointing. And I but I think that part of my disappointment in that is, you know, being an adult now and growing up and wanting to be, you know, a warrior princess, not just a right. princess who needed to be saved. And probably compounded by the fact that like less than six months ago, we got to see Robin Wright. Be a kick-ass Amazonian general, mm-hmm. and so and even last week we got to see her be a pretty competent. Um, oh, you're right,
0: and played uh, runner.
1: Yeah, police chief. So to kind, you know, so we've we've grown accustomed to seeing her as this really strong, mm-hmm. capable character, and so it was almost like, you know, step back, like oh yeah, this right. is where she got her big break.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of <laughs> lot of. Uh, internet memes about how uh, Princess Buttercup, when she grew up, became a TMP, you know, the general of the Amazon.
1: Yes. That one, because it's also with Princess Leia becoming General Leia. Right. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, and that's that's a little disappointing. I mean, it's it's kind of the classic fairy tale, though. And I think that yeah, it is also a product of its time, when it was being developed. And then um, the adaptation... It's pretty straight, you know, from the book, not, not completely accurately. I mean, they change a lot of things, um, between the two, but Buttercup is still essentially a sexy lamp.
0: Okay. Yeah. I don't think that I could really think of anything else I really dislike.
1: Mm-mm. No, it's just, it really, it even kind of stands the test of time, you oh. know, Sick child stuck at home playing video games. You know, reluctant reader doesn't really want to sit and listen to a book, a story by grandpa. Right. But then you know you get to rediscover the power of a book. Yeah. And a really good story.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, anything uh, other little things you want to say about the?
1: I will just say that in the. In the book, one of my favorite parts is that, you know, they get to the end and they were like, oh, you know, this kiss eclipsed the previous five best kisses in history. (laughs) Five best kisses. And then, uh, but then, you know, and that's where it ends. And then, but in the book, you know, it's told from the perspective of the grandson. And he says, well, years later, I got my hands on the book and I read that it wasn't quite as you know, such a happy ending as my grandpa told me, it was just, he wanted to leave me that story. But huh. really, you know, as they, you know, the prince immediately launches an expedition to go find them. And Inigo's uh, wound reopens. And, you know, like it's all, it, it kind of huh. says like, it wasn't just the perfect happy the ending, ending
2: oh, okay. as in
1: the tale, but that that's how the grandpa Watch ended it for him for the little boy.
2: Uh, okay.
1: So, it was, it was just an interesting kind of twist on the fairy tale in the book.
0: Interesting. I've never heard that before.
1: You should read the book.
0: No. I'll think about it. But I will suggest the book I'm listening to. Yes. As you wish. Because, uh, like I said, I'm not done with it yet. Uh, but there are some really fun, cool stories. Everybody admits to having the greatest time making this story, making mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, one of my favorite parts that I'll just share here as a fun fact, I guess, is about Andre. Uh, they meet at a, at a hotel in <laughs> somewhere in Europe. I can't remember if it was might it Paris or London. It doesn't, really ma- doesn't matter where. I uh, like, you know, with the, the principals, Carrie Elwes, director, some of the other actors, and they're at the hotel bar. And if you know anything about Andre the Giant, just legendary about how much he drank. Uh, especially at this point in his life, he was in chronic pain. His back was really messed up, and that's kind of how he self-medicated a lot of the time. And he apparently, after they had their meeting, stayed at the hotel bar, closed it down. And when when he left, he ended up he ended up passing out on the floor of the lobby of the hotel. Hotel staff comes to find this 700-pound man, or however <laughs> much he weighed, 500, I think, maybe. Didn't know what to do, so they called security. Security came and looked at this called engineering, which apparently is a department that this hotel had. <laughs> and they came, and eventually what they ended up doing is they just went and got the, some velvet ropes and just roped him off.
1: <laughs> until he woke up. And until
0: him. he woke up. So almost like he was an attraction, that people would come in and just see the the enormous – because what could they do? They couldn't move him. Right. He, they, he wasn't waking up anytime soon. So that just that, – that story cracks me up. You know, just essentially, what can you do? You just rope him off and let people walk around him until he wakes up. <laughs> so uh, but yeah Princess Bride is really great
1: yes anyway. agreed if you have not watched that movie yet you really need to watch it it's so good mm-hmm. and then after you watch it go buy the book and read the book it's also really really good um, and yeah this movie introduced me to Cary Elwes and after that I, was, I had the biggest crush on him yeah I'm not sure that I never fully ended.
0: <laughs> he was in Portland not that long ago, uh, touring on his, like doing his book tour. Doing I know, stuff.
1: but it was like a Tuesday night.
0: Yeah, that's, that's no good. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I guess that'll be it for the princess bride.
1: Yes. And look, I am still drinking my flesh and blood. IPA.
0: All right. Well, that's good. I mean, well, you, there are more than just, you bought more than one. But like there's a six pack, right? There is. Are you, are you going to be able to get
1: through that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we shall see.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, before we end uh, the podcast, uh, we'll talk about next week. Yeah. So a couple things that might be happening next week.
1: We are going to go see evil dead, the musical next weekend.
0: So this is a thing that happens every couple of years. It's become a tradition. Uh, a little town in Oregon called Redmond, or Bend, happens in Bend. But when I lived in Redmond, which is just down the road, this little theater called the Second Street Theater started performing Evil Dead the Musical around Halloween. And it is the greatest thing. It's so much fun. I love it. I've seen it several times. You've seen it a few times now.
1: Twice now. This will be my third time. It and, is pretty great.
0: And they do it every other year now. And it's become a tradition that we go over and go see it with some friends that we have over there. This year, we're going with our friends Chris and Kim. So what we're gonna do is this week in preparation, we're gonna watch Evil Dead Two, and we're gonna record a podcast on it.
1: The original Evil Dead Two, not the like scary, super scary remake of Evil Dead Two.
0: Right? No, not the no, not the not the remake of Evil Dead that came out. Here. No, the one with Bruce Campbell. Yes. Have you ever seen Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, or Army of Darkness? Evil Dead the musical borrows stuff from all three of those things. And just makes the most funny uh, R-rated blood soaked Because they spray blood into the crowd uh, Stage performance you've ever seen But we're going to do a podcast on Evil Dead 2 And then we're also going to take our stuff over to Ben this weekend And there might be a bonus episode Where we have uh, guest hosts Chris and Kim on board And maybe we'll even do one talking about Evil Dead the musical Maybe?
1: Maybe
0: we'll see. So anyway, one and or both of those things, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how much of a train wreck the Evil Dead musical podcast is. But for sure, look forward to Evil Dead Two, which is super crazy. All right, so I guess that's the end of this week's episode. Thanks for listening. You can, uh, as always, find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Republic. If you have an Android device. If you have anything you want to say about this podcast or any of our others, got a movie you want to suggest we watch, want to tell us what you thought about any of the movies we've seen, or even recommend a beer for us to try on a future episode, all those things would be awesome. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email to DDK ugh, screwed up. DDK podcasting at gmail.com. Thank you for doing this with me, my dear. Uh, Until next week,
1: go see a movie. Thanks.
0: Thanks, everybody.